0: Hi, just to let people know, this episode was pre-recorded before the new year. It was recorded on the 19th of December, 2017. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today, we're talking energy and industrials. It's Thursday, the 4th of January. I'm your host, Sarah Priestley, and today we're going to be talking about five energy stocks that might help you earn some extra income this year. If you're new to the show, maybe your New Year's resolution was to learn more about investing or learn about a segment of the market that you're not familiar with, you've come to the right place. Industry Focus goes live every weekday afternoon. We cover a different sector of the market each day, financials on Monday, consumer goods Tuesday, healthcare, Wednesday, Energy and Industrials Thursday, and Tech on Friday. So, if you're looking to get your money working for you in 2018, we can help. Today, we're going to be discussing energy stocks to add some nice income to your portfolio. portfolio. Joining me on Skype is Motley Fool's Senior Contributor and all-round nice guy, Jason Hall. Jason, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me on. This is exciting.
0: (laughs) I don't know if you've uh, had any thoughts yet, but do you know what some of your New Year's resolutions will be for 2018?
1: Yeah, I, I have a few. Um, actually, I write a little bit of career content mm-hmm. for The Molly Fool, and um, one of my big goals is to increase my earnings. I had, <clears throat> had a kid January 24, 2017, first kid, so um, it's been a busy year, and um, I haven't written as much as I normally do, and my income has gone down. And so I wrote a piece. I would like uh, suggest uh, people go find it. Uh, it talks about the difference between a resolution as a wish versus actually setting a goal you can measure and things you can actually achieve to hold yourself accountable. So- mm-hmm. I'm holding myself accountable to make more money this year.
0: <laughs> that's a very, very good goal. And yeah, uh, Jason's right. We have some really great careers content that we just started last year, um, mid-2017 at the fall. Uh, some really fantastic contributors, including Jason. Um, so yeah, check that out if you get the chance. So today um, we're kind of be talking generally about <clears throat> getting finances in shape and part of the Part of what can go into that is, if you have a lot of cash that you want to uh, get working for you, is income investing. But to start with the basics, Jason, what is income investing?
1: So, in, in general, the, the idea uh, behind income investing is to identify companies that have strong, steady cash flows, that have strong market share. Uh, uh, they have the ability to grow the, their cash flows over time, and that there's a measure of predictability there. Uh, for these companies to be able to pay a steady dividend and uh, most importantly, have the ability to increase that dividend um, ideally at, at a relatively high rate, certainly higher than inflation,, uh, but significantly higher than inflation is 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 best, so that you can generate a steady stream of income that grows over time. Um, there's a lot of evidence that um, investing, uh, using an income investing strategy and investing in dividend stocks, particularly dividend growth stocks, um, can actually generate market-beating returns. Mm-hmm. So th- th- it's really compelling because pe- a lot of times people think of dividend investing or income investing is this stodgy, boring, no-growth thing to do, and the, the history has shown that you can beat the market doing this. So. That's
0: pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I think it, I completely agree with you. It's seen as so boring. It's seen as pretty much the reserve of retirement accounts. But to be honest, if you reinvest the returns that you can get, the, you know, the compound factor there really just kind of accelerates growth over kind of a 10-year period. Um,
1: right. Absolutely.
0: I should note before we start the podcast, uh, properly talking about the five stocks we are going to mention, that this uh, whole show has been based on an article that Jason wrote at the end of last year, five energy dividend stocks you can buy right now. Uh, he wrote that on December the 11th, 2017, fantastic article, really good primer, and it links out to a lot of uh, really relevant content. If anybody would like that, feel free to shoot me an email at Um But we will get going. Um, so we're going to be talking about oil and gas. Uh, and energy in general, and it's been in the news a lot in the past few years because of the volatility of the base commodity prices. But what makes these particular energy companies compelling uh, for dividend stocks for you, Jason?
1: So I think there's there's a couple things. Um, <clears throat> number one, um, one thing in common between the three companies, uh, Royal Dutch Shell, <clears throat> Philip 66, and One Oak Inc. It spells one okay It's pronounced One Oak uh, Inc. <clears throat> is um, is the fact that they're they're all they have a lot of involvement in natural gas, um, which I think is going to be a strong demand growth product when it comes to tr- traditional oil and gas. That's the sector that I like the best. But they also have a lot of assets that generate that steady, predictable cash flow. Which again, when you get to dividends, that's what you really need. Um, as compared to say, let's an oil producer that their business is drilling holes and pulling oil or natural gas out of the ground, they're heavily tied to the commodity. Price movement. So when prices go down, it, it can significantly impact their income and cash flows. Um, and these three companies all have a certain measure of uh, predictability for their cash flows and the ability to grow it, as, as we talked about in the in the kind of the primer about income investing.
0: Mm-hmm. And Jason, you and I are both bullish on the future of renewables. But I think it's worth noting for this discussion. Uh, you know, we're talking about kind of. Safe or as safe as you can get sort of dividend stocks, oil is going to be part of our world for the foreseeable future. So to kind of um, to put it into perspective, you know, we have we do still have a long period of time where we will be transitioning to reduce our reliance on oil and gas. But globally, the demand for oil is going to be there for the next 50 years, at least. so, the first company uh, to mention is Royal Dutch Shell, uh, their ticket mm-hmm. is RDA and they have A and B shares, their yield is 5.7%, that's that's incredible, um, so Shell is an integrated super major engaging in the full range of oil and gas industry businesses, so that basically means that they kind of have a finger in uh, all the pies and they're the second big, biggest public oil company traded on US markets behind Exxon, so what makes them a good dividend play?
1: So. If you go if you go back um, you know through the through the heart of the the oil downturn which you know it looks like we're kind of starting to emerge prices are a little more stable companies are able to make money kind of where we are right now at you know this this roughly $60 oil price um, <clears throat> shell was enga- engaged in the biggest uh, merger MA activity that, that happened during during this downturn uh, when it acquired um, BG group, uh, which is another uh, British based uh, major uh, oil and gas major. And um, the, the reality is that when, the, when this acquisition happened, there was a lot of concern because uh, Shell took on a huge amount of debt uh, to make this acquisition happen. But the, the, with, with squarely aimed at increasing its natural gas business, where management sees um, a better future for, for growth, again, oil is going to be hugely important, but when it comes to growth, natural gas seems like it's going to have better better legs um, since that acquisition the company has, has made a lot of changes to drive costs down to sell off some of those non-core assets as it really refocuses its business after the the, the merger or the acquisition and I when I when I when I invested in the company it's been uh, six months or so ago when I decided to, to invest my timing worked out really well but the market was really concerned that all of that debt and the company's expenses were going to cause it to uh, have to have to cut the dividend uh, and there was some risk of that uh, but but over this uh, over 2017 management has has made efforts to reduce costs really increased operating cash flows um, gotten to a profitability point where the dividends safe at this point I mean I don't think we can we can count on increases uh, but it's a relatively secure secure payout so I think if you want to get you know a really strong yield even one that's not necessarily going to see dividend growth maybe in the next couple of years as the company focuses on paying debt down more and driving operating costs down more with with its cash flows it's already a big enough yield that even if it stays flat for a few years it's you know it's it's better than anything else you're going to get a three or four percent yield that has growth potential it's still not going to catch up and by the time that shell's ready to increase its dividend it's still going to be paying a higher yield on your cost, probably, than you know, some a stock that might be yielding you know three or four percent today with small small dividend growth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So. A story that we're seeing a lot with oil and gas companies is basically trying to reduce the cost per barrel uh, to the to the company. So for Shell, they're doing a fantastic job of this. I think last quarter they were they actually produced pre pre crash levels of cash flow uh, with oil prices at half of what they once were. So management's doing a really good job there. Um, the second company you mentioned. Uh, in your article Jason was Phillips uh Phillips right. 66. 66 yeah, yeah. ticker uh, PSX and their yield yields a little lower at 2.8% mm-hmm. but um a bit of potential bit more potential here
1: so here's what here's what i like about Philips 66 um, it, unlike shell uh, or ExxonMobil, or any of these other super majors uh Phillips 66 is is not a producer at all it's still integrated it has uh, it's really well known for its uh, refining operations, That's some of the largest refining operations in North America. Um, <clears throat> it's um, a major petrochemical manufacturer. It, it's in a joint venture, 50-50 joint venture with Chevron. Uh, it has significant uh, oil and gas storage um, and um, pipelines uh, that it operates. So it has a lot of diversity in different segments of the business, but it, but it buys oil and natural gas. It doesn't produce a single bit of it. Uh, so that actually has, has been a benefit for the company um, over the past few years. Really, when oil prices really started falling, that, that helped Phillips 66. Its refineries are really advanced, so it can process a lot of different kinds of crude. So it was able to generate a little bit broader uh, spread between its cost to purchase oil and to refine it. So it actually was able to net higher profits on lower oil costs as oil prices were falling. So. Yeah, you know, that's a competitive advantage that you're not going to see from an integrated oil company that also produces oil because it's 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 hurting its cash flows as oil prices fall down. It's probably, those the the drop is probably going to exceed any benefit it gets from increased margins in its refining operations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, when it comes to the growth side, Philip 66 uh, is is consistently uh, <clears throat> investing. Uh, it's its cash flows back into growing its uh, midstream business, so its storage and, and um, pipeline business, uh, its export facilities uh, for things like uh, um, LPG, uh, <clears throat> investing a lot of money in, in expanding its petrochemical business. Um, so if you think about growth, just kind of a little caveat here, um, the petrochemical manufacturers have been are, are on track to invest something like two hundred billion dollars over a fifteen-year period in the U.S. Gulf Coast because of the massive amount of very cheap natural gas uh, that's, that's in North America, and, and Phillips 66 is right in the middle of that. Uh, so since Phillips 66 was spun out of uh, ConocoPhillips in 2012, um, Phillips 66 has increased its dividend uh, every, every single year. I think it's up 250%, so it's only wow. yielding you know 3%, but there's a lot of things I like about the business in terms of lower downside risk than, say, um, a, a shell, which still has the downside exposure. If oil prices, natural gas prices fall again, it doesn't have that downside risk. Um, so that helps offset, you know, maybe a little bit lower yield. But again, there's a consistent track record of annual dividend growth that the company should be able to continue to support. So I think it's a good mix actually to own both of those two of, the, of those two stocks because you kind of play a little bit of both sides of the coin there.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. Yeah, and as you mentioned, since they split from Canoco Phillips in 2012, it's increased its dividends seven times. Um, it's grown at a 30% compound annual growth rate, so that's really fantastic. And I think they just announced another three billion um, in share repurchases. So they've done nine billion since 2012. So that's going to put it up to 12 billion, which is going to reduce their outstanding share count by quite significantly. I would have thought. Um, yeah, I
1: think since since the IPO, I think or since it you know, was spun out, the share counts already been reduced by like eighteen percent eighteen and a half percent so that's I mean that's equity that you're gaining as an investor without buying another share so that's that's pretty remarkable
0: hmm Uh, The next company to mention is One Oak, which I'm glad that you uh, (laughs) told me how to pronounce that because I would have got it wrong. Uh, The ticker is O-K-E. Their yield is 5.7%. They're specialized primarily in natural gas and natural gas liquids, uh, gathering systems and pipelines. So the company has used to kind of fall victim to the volatility as similarly to the other companies we've spoken about. But they have moved nearly all of their agreements to fixed price contracts, which has had a fantastic effect on the stock and the company.
1: Yeah, if you if you go back, um, let's see, go back what a year and a half ago, when oil prices, I guess almost two years ago now, when oil prices were, you know, at the bottom, at the very, very bottom. Um, something that was happening at the same time is uh, natural gas liquids, things like you know, isobutane, methane, propane, um, <clears throat> that that are generally byproducts of natural gas production and also byproducts of oil production. Uh, the value of those commodities has fallen so far because these things are coming up as as oil uh, and natural gas um, production just skyrocketed in North America. We're getting a significant amount of these byproducts without any market to absorb them. Uh, the problem was uh, One Oak, um, and, and at the time, it's 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 all of its assets were held by a master limited partner, which it's since reacquired and consolidated into a single entity. Um, I think at one point, you know, maybe 25 or 30, maybe even 30% of its cash flows were tied to um, the commodity prices for those NGLs that it was gathering, the natural gas liquids it was gathering. So, it was a significant burden um, on the company's cash flows. But yeah, as you said, really over the past two years, the company has renegotiated and its contracts have come up, has has made them fixed fee, Uh, obviously there's not as much upside uh, if if you know commodity prices go up, but when you're investing in a stock based on predictable income, management did the right thing to really get. I think now it's over 90% of cash flows are are, are based on these fixed fee deals. So uh, it's made for a much much stronger um, dividend. Here's the thing I really like a lot. It's yielding well over five percent today. Um, but as part of the, the 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 acquisition and the integration of the the master limited partnership. There's some tax benefits. The dividend is going to go up something like 20% a year for the next two years, maybe three years. So uh, an investor today would capture you know five and a half, five point six percent yield. But your dividend is going to go up substantially from there over the next few years. Um, before we, you know, so that's that's just. Something I really like about this
0: company. Yeah. And and we've mentioned a lot about natural gas, and I think um, if any of our listeners are unfamiliar with it, we did a show back at the end of uh, December um, about natural gas and basically how it's becoming more prevalent. The U.S. output uh, is growing. I think 90% of what we produce right now is used domestically, but there's also a growing export market, especially in Europe, uh, as European nations move away from Russian companies like Gazprom. um, Due to kind of some price volatility that they've experienced there, so yeah big big growth market, especially in liquid natural gases, so interesting company absolutely, but um outside of oil and gas um we have some stock recommendations outside uh, in emerging energy sources. Wind and solar are getting cheaper. Storage, which has previously been, uh, as Jason describes it, the missing piece of the puzzle, is is starting to be addressed. So we have a couple of stock recommendations based on the growth in that industry. The first one being Patent Energy Group, PEGI. Uh, crazy yield is it seven point seven point nine percent? I think right now close
1: to it. Yeah, yep. close to it. Just under just under eight percent today. That's
0: Insane. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, so, this company yeah. owns 20 wind turbine farms. Correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, Jason. Um, they have assets in the US, Canada, South America, and they make money by selling the power that they generate on their uh, wind farms to local utilities on long term contracts. So, they have a 14 year average life uh, on these fixed term contracts. Um, mm-hmm. Why do you like them for a dividend play?
1: So, a, cu- a couple of things. Um, y- y- I think the re- again the reality you mentioned this early in the in the on the podcast, um, there is a shift that's that's starting to happen as as renewables are becoming more price competitive. Um, I think investors should be willing to consider the reality that that these things are going to continue to become a larger and larger share of the energy mix. They're going to be necessary around the world, whether you're talking about reaching environmental goals, whether you're talking about simply supporting. The, the additional infrastructure that's going to be necessary as, as the global population grows they're going to be really really important that we bring these assets online. Uh, the big thing for me is the fact that they're getting so cheap you know mm-hmm. if you look at if you look at the if you just look at the math at this point solar is competitive with with natural gas uh, in most places in North America. Uh, so it's cheaper than coal it's cheaper than uh, the nuclear. Um, there's also scalability with with, uh, with wind that's really really nice uh, to bring in you know small. So instead of building a, a power plant or even a peaker plant, uh, you can add some solar capacity or excuse me some wind solar or wind capacity as far as that goes uh, to to add incremental um, power to the grid at a lower you know per kilowatt hour cost uh, than adding really any, any other any other source of energy. Uh, mm-hmm. The thing that I like about pattern energy particularly is it's its relationship with its pri- its parent company is a privately held uh, developer um, that develops these projects, sells them off and uh, pattern Energy the public entity has has a great relationship there to participate in those um, in those in those projects and the CEO of the development company and the public company is the same person he, owns, I think, almost 10% of Pattern Energy, the public company. So you have a lot of skin in the game. Um, The other thing that I like that's happening is the company has has traditionally been um, solar, uh, but is now investing in uh, power transmission. As these new assets are brought online, you have to connect them to the grid, Uh, is getting ready to start making investments in Storage, again, because storage like 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 you said and I've, I've written, is that it's that missing piece of the puzzle because if the wind isn't blowing, the sun isn't shining. it doesn't matter how cheap solar and wind are. they're 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 not functional. Mm-hmm. So as as storage costs have come down, it's getting to the point where adding renewables that produce power cheap more cheaply than uh, fossil fuels and storage to have a place to keep that extra capacity and center to the grid is necessary, is, is making it completely competitive. And the costs are going to continue to fall. And since the costs are going to continue to fall, it, it, when you're talking about, you know, just something like energy, you, the low cost producer wins. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great way to be invested in that in that future.
0: So Pattern Energy Group is really a great great way to be invested in some of that opportunity and, you know, earn something. Icing on the cake is to earn something along, along the while. Um, the next company to mention, we probably have the most to say but the least time, is uh, 8.3 Energy Partners, uh, yep. ticker CAFD. Their yield is uh, over 7%. They were originally established as a limited partnership by First Solar and Sun Power as a way to monetize those companies' commercial and utility-scale solar projects. Um, so they would essentially sell projects to uh, 8.3, who would operate, sell the power, and then give them distributions back. Um, there's recently been talk of selling stakes uh, of those companies. What do you think this does to the dividend for this company?
1: So it's you know it's kind of an interesting situation. The short version is um, First Solar initially said that it was interested in selling its stake in 8.3. Uh, initially, uh, SunPower. Was a little more cagey, but um, since then they've. The management said that that, that they're interested in looking to sell off too, and a couple things have happened. Number one, you know, when both of the the partners want to sell, you know, it it creates a lot of uncertainty in the market. So the stock price suffered a little bit, and that's why the yield has remained so high. Uh, But the other side that's happened is those two companies have also kind of changed how they build these massive solar projects. SunPower is shifting away from that and doing kind of a little bit different. Uh, kind of work. Uh, first Solar is is still going to do big projects, but sees enough demand uh, in the market, secondary market, without having to rely on an entity that it controls to to pass those along to. Now, in terms of its its cash flows and to support the current yield, 8.3 Energy Partners, the, the yield is completely. I mean, it's solid as it's going to get. I think their, their their average contract life is almost 20 years. So the dividend—I mean, there's very little reason to expect the dividend would, would go down. Um, what really could happen—it depends on when the time does come to find a buyer, who buys it, and and what they choose to do with it. If it's kept as a as a, as a publicly traded entity on its own, there's potential to grow that dividend um, as as new assets get dropped down, or it has you know the ability to to add assets to its base. Uh, if it gets rolled into another. Um, publicly or privately held company, I think that there's some upside in the share price. It would certainly be sold for a premium to its current price. So there is some uncertainty, but for me, it's worth capturing that 7% yield along the way and writing out the story and seeing what happens. I think the worst case scenario is you get your yield in a 10 15% premium over the current stock price. The best case scenario is, it 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 has the potential to be a pattern energy group that's more specialized just in the solar side, mm-hmm. you know with steady growth along the way for years and years and years to come.
0: Yeah, one of the potential uh, buyout rumors is around Next era, which is another company that we like a lot here, which is a utility uh, heavily right. invested in renewables also. So Jason, thank you so much uh, for being on the first show of the year. I really appreciate it. As always, you are incredibly knowledgeable. Hey, Sarah? <laughs> yes.
1: Let me be the first to wish you a happy new
0: year. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, well, that is it from us today. If you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at full.com or tweet us on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Austin Morgan kindly produced the show today. Uh, for Jason, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and full on.